Shakala. It means holy worship. Join me, your host, Robert Randall, as we delve into biblical instrumentation and music history to discover the sounds behind the words of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. Good evening, family in Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Robert Randall, welcoming you once again to Kadoshika, Holy Worship, the Music of the Bible, Understanding the Sounds Behind the Words of Our Master, Yeshua the Messiah. This is Season 3 of Holy Worship. We're continuing our exploration into Babylonian music. Today we're going to delve into a couple of the cuneiform tablets that discuss these musical systems and share with you how these systems are structured. Father in heaven, we thank you for this unique study of music, of history, of your word, Father, of the cultures that were the major cultures that were influenced and impacted the word of God through the science and the gift of music as you've given it to mankind to be enjoyed, to praise your holy name, Yehovah Sebaot, the Lord of hosts, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, our King, and we thank you for the ability to to hear and feel and enjoy uh, what is this powerful emotional force that allows us in times of joy, in warfare, in, in sadness, in all areas in which words cannot communicate, to be impacted on a deep, deep level. In Yeshua's name, amen. I had a wonderful time. I went to the Christmas with the Chosen show in theaters. It broke box office records. It was an amazing musical time. If you love music and vocals, I highly recommend listening to the soundtrack or watching it on YouTube or seeing it in theaters. Surprised my fiance with it. It was a wonderful time. You're probably wondering, Robert, what are you doing with Christmas? You're messianic. Well, folks, when we narrow down the biblical history and the aspects of what Christians celebrate today as the birth of Christ, biblically it is a belated Sukkot that's been debated since the 3rd century. Now, as for the pagan elements, that's a whole other topic for another day and a whole other podcast. And I have my promise with the Chosen. I'll tell you, tell you that right now. I recommend that you do your own research because there are problems with the background of where the show came from, the church that it came from, the actors have their own issues in secret societies and other things. There's, there's some serious problems. And the writers are Hollywood writers. They're not there to present the Bible or the authentic Jesus. They're there, they're there to entertain you, give you some fuzzy wuzzies, make you cry some teardrops. And they are there to present an entertaining show that has misrepresentations of, of the disciples and misrepresents the biblical storyline. They're not going to get everything 100%. They're not there to read the scriptures. They're consulting faith-based ministers on the historical and cultural context, but that's as far as it gets in terms of presenting that worldview to you. You are not going to hear scripture in the context that it was meant to be. And that's because Hollywood creates, they entertain people. Do I enjoy The Chosen? Yes, I do. I have my problems with it. So that's, I just digress. I want you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Pray about it. It's a great show. Just, it's not the Bible. All right, folks, let's get into part two of the Babylonian musical analysis of Babylonian 
music theory systems. Musical structure. Letters and solfege are the primary means by which Western music is structured in bodies of scales. C major on the grand staff, for example. Apart from the traditional clefs most are familiar with, while there are others like these, alto clef, tenor clef, and viola clef, among others. In Babylonian music, we can use a, we can use a Western display to identify the notes used to describe how they strung their instruments in an Eastern scale structure. This is typically composed of nine strings. Depending on each string's mass, length, and tension, a predicted frequency could be established, a method used as early as 1800 BC. Early lyres, pre-5900 BC, had strings set up like a fan. Using our knowledge of the alternate clefts above, we see a pattern that shows the shortest string in the middle. It would look something like a fan, akin to that of a tenor clef. Listen now to the example of what a tenor clef would sound like in this structure. You'll notice that the middle note is the C note, whereas typically in the scale that we listened to before, the C note was at the beginning of the Western scale that we listened to of C major. Here is the eastern structure of Babylonian music, with nine notes, C being the middle note, or the top note. By 2600 BC, the strings changed from a fan to a slant, leaning towards the player. Much like the silver lyre in our season one, podcast. The strings would have been strung something like this when put in a, in a linear fashion, leaning towards the player. You would have E, G, B flat, C, D, E, F sharp, C sharp, and G. Here's what it, what it would have sounded like. Such presentation shows the rise towards aniotonic which is nine-note systems that are made up of two pentachords. This means that there are two sets of five notes encased within a nine-note system. So what do, what do we mean by this? We mean that everything from E, G-flat, B-flat, C, and D is makes up five notes on one half of the tuning system. The other half starts from the other end, from G, C-sharp, F-sharp, E to D. D, again, being the middle note, much like the previous scale that we listened to, where C was the middle or the tonic, is what it's usually called. Our focus is purely on the music as it stands in letters and mathematics for the laity. A minuscule of Babylonian language will be addressed in detail. A, because we have no clear definition for most of the phrases used in Babylonian on these records. B, 
such analysis of linguistics is not the focal point of any of the manuscripts we're really going to be looking at. Two scholars have contributed to this study, Richard Dumbrill, a well-known archaeomusicologist who has spent his career deciphering theoretical musical concepts on Babylonian clay tablets, along with Dr. Irving Finkel, who is one of the lead curators at the British Museum and one of the world's top Assyriologists. Both men know their craft intimately within Babylonian academia and hold the greatest public domain on the subject. Both men founded Iconia Publications for the documentation and preservation of this unique area of study. Let's now take a look at the tablets themselves. Some, as we shall see, are related to each other. Other tablets address unique concepts only found in Babylonian musical structures. Let's take a look now at a familiar tablet we looked at last time, CBS 10996, and flesh it out a bit. CBS 10996. This text is not prescribed or, instruct, or an instructive form of music. It is a descriptive means by which strings are named and given the characteristics of intervals. The purpose of these intervals cannot be understood from the text alone. When we examine intervals, they can be one of three types harmonic, only two notes uh, or, or more would be sung together or played together. An example would be a perfect fifth, a C and a G played at the same time. We discussed this in the last episode, R um, written from E to B, stacked on top, one note stacked on top of each other. The second would be melodic, single note melodies, singing one note at a time. E to B. E to B. Stepwise melodic intervals. This is a strand of notes from E to B moving up the staff like steps, up or down. Since CBS 10996 was first discovered, and translated by three Assyriologists, one of whom had a smattering of music education and piano lessons as a child, presented the, the unanimous verdict that the text was an ascending harmonic scale, or had a series of scales that were ascending in harmonic. According to Richard Dumbrill, since 1968, a grave error of interpretation was made to this text, citing that it was a a linear a linear heptatonic harmonic system which is ascending notes in a grouped in a seven note system were it plausible history and scientific development would reveal the truth of this claim the first reason why this tablet cannot be linear musical form is that there is no description for a linear system a cyclical one, or any Western means within the text to justify such a description within Western music theory. Second, the notion that Babylonians had any concept of harmonic intervals is highly doubtful. CBS 10996 specifically shows pitch intervals that move up an ascending fifth, C to G, 
d to a, e to b, etc., and descending thirds, c to e, d to f, e to g, etc. So what we're talking about is notes that are separated that are five notes apart from each other, like so. So here's a musical example of the fifths and thirds apart from each other in the sequences that I just gave as an example. Those were perfect fifths. Now these are third intervals. So when you listen to this as a musical system written by Babylonian musicians, this is what it sounds like a fifth up and a third down as a musical system written out. While early harmony was used in cathedrals in the 12th century, it is not likely that Babylonians would have any idea of harmony, based on their dwellings constructed from heavy mud-brick structures. Two notes would be used to make harmony when sung together in medieval music. We can only conclude that such intervals were used melodically, one note at a time. Intervals can function as tuning systems to which the original tablet numbering shows that the numbers laid out are too chaotic for any means of tuning. The second function is a filled stepwise method that allows for a more structured outline. The notion of absolute pitch versus relative pitch plays a part in the construction of string instruments and how strings were applied. Because there were no trained musical specialists, it was mostly wood artisans who would create lyres from bull or calf skins for resonance boxes and use their guts for strings. Because music was not an exact science, the pitches were relative to each other, and no two lyres sounded alike despite differences in size. Now, for the final reason why musical tones cannot be applied to this tablet is summed up nicely by Richard Dumbrill and Dr. Irving Finkel in their A Concise Treatise on Sumerian and Babylonian Music Theory. The present text, it is impossible to give exact tonal values of, of any of the intervals in CBS 10996, as the text does not provide any clues for such conclusions. 1 to 5, 2 to 6, 3 to 7 may just be fifth intervals. The values for thirds are even less possible to determine as there are no indications to say if there were major, how major, minor, how minor, or neutral, how neutral. All we know is that each fifth and each third have names, the meaning of which having been lost with time. It is from these names the ancient Near Eastern musicians know how these intervals sounded without re without recall without resource to any notation in makan teaching it is the same of the jinns which reminds the musician of the structure of, of the interval and not numbers what the authors refer to in makin makam teaching excuse me and jinns is the structure of eastern cantering much the same 
as in Judaism, Islam, and Eastern musical forms, as I have mentioned previously in our podcast. So in the podcast description, I'll post a link to a makam, Islamic chanter, to give you an idea of what the Islamic sense of these oriental scales and uh, chanting methods sound like, because that shows the evolution of these Babylonian musical systems and really encapsulates them from an Eastern point of view. That's why I'm sharing this with you. I'm not sharing any of this with you to show that, that Islam or Judaism is superior. It's just a matter of showing that this music has a macro evolution to it. And for all the beef that we give evolution, it should be noted that macro evolution has a more prominent uh really truthful aspect into how things uh, play out throughout history than microevolution, certainly. So with that being said, let's continue to our next tablet. Nabnichu 32. Sir Leonard Woolley discovered this tablet in the late 1920s. Eventually arriving in the Baghdad Iraqi Museum in the 1970s. It is dated around circa 800 BCE. Some believe it to be a copy of an older document. This tablet has a smaller span, half of the named pitches matching the same seven-note system intervals within a larger nine-note system consisting of fifth and third intervals. In essence... Complementing CBS 10996 as seen or as understood in <laughs> that we just talked about. Um, the history of Eniotonism, nine note systems, and Heptatonism, seven note systems, is quite drastic. Eniotism, being the older of the two, believed to have been in use as early as the third millennium by philosophers and mathematicians like Plato and Pythagoras, into the Byzantine era. It is Dumbrell's thesis that the tuning of instruments was intentionally designed and not a coincidence or by evolutionary chance. Such design, be it religious or otherwise, carries into the notion of subsets. Dumbrell explains, During the Islamic period and probably in the centuries before, the Byzantinian system metabolized into the Makam structure, adding monodic triads, tetrads, and pentads, and building up with them a much more important number of subsets. Their names are the equivalent of the Babylonian subsets. The earliest notation, the earliest notion of the term Makam Arabic was place, plural, plural Makmir is composed of intervals called chins, or achnas, from the Greek genos. Musicians had not thought about giving names for melodies or their scales, modes, rhythms, etc. It was titles or insipids, or short descriptions, which reminded them of a mood or a style or a, st or a structure, just as certain signals, signs, or their vocalization can trigger a multitude of sensations, or a tune reminisce emotions airing from an event which happened while it had been played in the past. With time, the insipid of melodies became abbreviated. 
often to one term. In Western Judeo-Christian circles, or excuse me, in a Western Judeo-Christian sense, this is not too far from what we have just learned about Makam teaching. And again, if you want to listen to that chant, please click the YouTube link in the podcast description. When someone says Shema or Barakah or Matovu in Jewish and Hebraic circles, those who identify with those phrases when spoken not only hear the word listen or blessing in Hebrew, but they can identify with the prayer that is sung in response when, that is, when those titles are called out. The same could be applied to Christian circles when one is asked to recite Our Father, an Apostles' Creed, or the Doxology, dependent upon, upon denominative tradition. Practitioners identify with the chant as a call and response, or sung as a recitation of one's faith doctrine, a liturgy in a sense. And so basically what this is an ancient form of liturgy as a musical, purely musical structure. It is clear from Dumbrill's analysis that the early roots of these texts have profound implications on music as we know it today. YBC 11381. The latest translation of this text was published in 2010. It is dated 2,000 years later than its predecessors in cuneiform tablet history. The inscriptions are prayers for the invocations and blessings from various Babylonian deities. Now, we will not invoke the names of those Babylonian deities because Torah says, not to pronounce those names, um, do not let them come off of your lips. And I'm going to show respect to that for our audience today. Now, regarding these strings, these are, um, in, in Babylonian, we need to understand that the term string is not just standing for a, a string as an individual string to be played as a note. It also means a stringed instrument. So when I read this, when I say string one or string two or string three, that's not necessarily saying C, D, E as individual strings. That's saying that there are maybe a number of harp players that are in a temple or a series of temples to these false Elohim. And they are playing different systems of notes while a blessing is being invoked or being prayed to a deity. That is what is being conveyed to uh, within this tablet. In Babylonian, the, uh, the word string is translated as saw. In the next compilation, we will hear the strings with their musical systems. Now, we're not going to go through all nine of these systems, but as far as, as what this sounds like, it would sound like so. Saw one, or string player one. C, B flat, A, G, F, E flat, D, C, B flat. Saw two, string player two. C, B, A, G, F, E, D, C, B. Saw three. C, B, A, G, F sharp, E, D, C, B. Saw four. C sharp B A G F sharp E D C sharp B and so on and so forth. 
Each progression adds more sharp notes, raised notes, a half step from their original note with every single scale that is played to these various deities. This 2,000-year-old tablet shows a design that possibly was used when the names of such deities were invoked and played in worship. The pattern, if applied to a modern major scale, would sound like so. F, C, G, D, A, E, B, F sharp, C sharp. The correlation between this tablet and Nebinetu 32 is connected to the fourth string through Ea, the creator, also known as Enkidu. Such veneration is not made up on a whim. It has a valid connection in Assyrian religious understanding. Now in a formula for worship on a stringed instrument. While we cannot say exactly what such a system meant to the Babylonians, it is clear that it has a method of tuning and devotion as we have presented with the related tablets and similar systems of incantation within a religious understanding. And as a final note here, just to provide you with context for the definition of saw or string, the term saw, which has a twofold meaning for such a small word, the Chicago Assyrian Dictionary defines saw as one, the string of a musical instrument, and two, a stringed musical instrument. So this is this is very important to the context of the word. Just like Hebrew has multiple meanings for a word, it's the same with another Eastern language like Babylonia. With that, I'd like to thank Dr. Irving Finkel, Richard Dumbrill, and Dr. Ann Kilmer for their papers, their lectures, and their books for the research behind these podcasts in this series for Season 3 of Holy Worship. I've got to give credit where credit is due. You can look up more of their work on YouTube as well as on Google Scholar should you wish to see what else um, is offered in the Babylonian Assyrian Academic Community and in Babylonian Musicology. There's even a fascinating lecture by Dr. Irving Finkel on Noah's Ark, or at least as Babylonians understood Noah's Ark to be built. They actually built a life-size Babylonian version of Noah's Ark. Very, very fascinating uh, undertaking that was done some years ago in the early 2000s. With that, we conclude our exploration of Babylonian worship and religious understanding in its cultural context. We continue Season 3 with the Israelite Samaritans beginning our journey down the road of Hebraic Israelite worship and context. The Israelite Samaritans use the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, written in a Paleo-Hebrew script and have a very unique form of worship as compared to the Orthodox brethren of Judaism. Join us next time for that undertaking as we delve into how the Israelite Samaritans worship in musical structures and even had the opportunity to tour with an opera at one point that featured Israelite Samaritan chanting. 
Thank you, everyone who listens to Hebrew Nation Radio and Intervision.fm to this show, as well as those who listen to our podcast. Thank you for your reviews on Apple Podcasts, your hearts on Spotify. We are now on iHeartRadio and Amazon Music as well. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. None of us are here on these radio broadcasts without your coveted prayers and financial support. So we thank you. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom, and have a blessed, blessed Sabbath.